Welcome to Radio KBPV, Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village, a podcast about the history of southwestern Alberta, presented by Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village of Pincher Creek, a museum complex that documents the stories of Western Canada's agricultural settlement through the preservation of local buildings and artifacts among a six-acre park. Pincher Creek is a town of 3,700 souls in a vast rural trading area of some 3,000 rural dwellers. A vibrant region of rolling prairie, foothills, the Rocky Mountains, the Pecani First Nation, Waterton Lakes National Park, the Crow's Nest Pass, and the Upper River Watershed of the South Saskatchewan River Basin. Join us in this podcast where we present walking tours of our buildings and hear the stories of the farmers, townsmen, cowboys, mounties, pioneer women, politicians, chroniclers, miners, railroaders, and so many other significant histories of this particular corner of Canada. Welcome back to Radio KBPV, and uh, welcome in particular to our Tombstone Tours of 2023. And uh, if you've been following the podcast, you know that through the spring and summer of this year, we've been presenting last year's uh, Tombstone Tours that we did at the Pioneer Cemetery here in Pincher Creek. And uh, you know that we've also been promoting... Um, what our plans were for this summer's tombstone tour, which was not actually in a graveyard. It was on the grounds of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village itself. So uh, this naturally was a virtual tour, not uh, exactly in a cemetery, but uh, we had representations of uh, a selected local pioneers and uh, historical characters who made significant trailblazing contributions to our frontier settlement but who had passed away elsewhere. Uh, I am uh, speaking about this right now as a matter of introduction to our tombstone tours which of course will be episodic and will be divided into 16 episodes that you will hear on Radio KBPV every Saturday morning for the next 16 weeks or so. So that should keep you going through the fall. Uh, The reason I'm doing this introduction now is because uh, somewhere in our recording, I had a little assistant uh, helping me and uh, who didn't quite understand that uh, there was going to be an introduction at a certain time and was at another part of the village. So we somewhat missed uh, Farley's um, introduction to the entire event. But uh, the way the night was staged, uh, we all met at 6 o'clock. We had a nice supper in uh, the Garden Cafe. And then we all went outside. And uh, we had, unlike most uh, tombstone tours, where we go literally from tombstone to tombstone to tombstone, and everybody drags along a a, uh, chair if they need need to Um, this one we had certain nodes set up no more than uh, five or six nodes and uh, we had sort of faux tombstones made up that were uh, created by our summer students that are working through the village this uh, summer so they uh, researched the tombstones and they made some uh, plywood reproductions and did some nice work on uh, I guess you could call it uh, sign making or calligraphy on the uh, on the plywood stones themselves and we placed them at the five nodes then we had chairs selected at every one of those places 
so that everybody had a chance to sit down and a podium which our guests could use to do their readings. And I think it worked out nicely. Uh, we did our program um, well with under th three hours and I think we only had about two or three readings that were really in the virtual dark. Uh, but that's the way it is. At, at one time we used to do these tombstone readings completely in the dark out in the country. So I think uh, this was a very successful night. We had well in excess of three dozen attendants, which is about what we expect usually at uh, any of our readings. Um, we haven't formulated any plans for 2024, but uh, we'll have a sit down and see how, to, how uh, this one went and uh, maybe have a look and see if there are other work that we could do in any other local cemeteries that uh, on pioneers that we haven't covered from those places. So without further ado, I'm going to turn uh, this introduction over to myself again. We will uh, introduce each one of our, our Frontier characters uh, singly by singly and episode by episode. So our first episode, let's call that 2023-01, is going to be uh, read by our curator of Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village and the organizer of our Tombstone Tales each and every year, of course the indomitable Mr. Farley Wuth. Uh, he's going to be speaking on Thomas Blackston, born 1832, died 1891, an explorer in the palace or expedition of 1857 and 1860 and uh, went off, as Farley will explain, went off to do his own ex expeditions. And we did this reading in right in front of Kootenai Brown's cabin on the grounds. So here's Farley. Uh, coming out to help with the reenactments and all that. And this year we've got uh, some new people coming to us who have helped, helped out, which is always much appreciated. So we'll be going through different spots of the Kootenai Brown Pioneer Village here to uh, uh, represent the readings. We've chosen locations in some of the in front of the, the historical cabins that are closely tied with the people who re represent. So our first three readings are in front of Kootenai Brown's cabin because that represents some of the early explorers. Then we're moving on to the Fishburn School, then on to the Walden Ranch House. Then we've got uh, an alleyway between the military room and the, uh, and the doctor's office or having a couple of presentations. Then in front of the Rocky Mountain Echo, as the old newspaper was known back in the old days. And then our final stop is in front of the Northwest Mounted Police horse uh, barn and the blacksmith shop. So that way we get, also get to see a bit of the, of the Pioneer Village at the same time. So. If you'd like to head over to the Kootenai Brown's cabin, that's where we'll get going with our first presentations. Yeah, yeah you leave the wasps at home. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, uh, we're recording this for historic posterity, and we'll be dividing um, all of the different talks into episodes that will be available on our podcast called Radio KBPV. And if you didn't know we had a podcast, well, now you do. Yeah. <laughs> Radio Free Canada. <laughs> so our first presentation uh, reading this evening is about Thomas Blakiston. And you can see his headstone over there. And Thomas Blakiston uh, was an early explorer who came in, uh, into this area in 1857 and 1858. 
He was born in England in 1832, and he died in uh, San Diego, California in 1891. Now, Thomas Blakerson wasn't the only explorer uh, around here, as we'll find out this evening, but he was one of the few ones that was actually sponsored as a scientific expedition by the British government. And this is with the Palliser expedition that was sent out by Queen Victoria to assess the agricultural and scientific potential for the Canadian West as they were knowing that it was eventually become the part of the Dominion of Canada. At that point, it was in, 1850, in the late 1850s, it was still part of Rupert's land. And so uh, the Palliser expedition is perhaps best known for its Palliser tri Triangle analysis, which uh, pointed out the great dryness of the areas in what now is southeastern Alberta and southwestern Saskatchewan. But they also explored the mountain areas as well. And Thomas Blakiston was the one that spent most of the time in what became southwestern Alberta. The stories that we've been told is that Captain John pa uh, Palliser and Thomas Blakiston did not get along. They were both on the expeditions. And so Blakiston decided to come out here essentially on his own uh, to this part of the country and explore this part, uh, parts of the West. So in 1858, he left Old Beaufort, which is on the Bow River. It was a former Hudson Bay Company post there. And he came down uh, south along the Kananaskis country. He, uh, uh, and along where Highway Number 22 is, he came out in the open plains and he used, uh, for guides, he used a system of First Nations peoples, mostly the Nakota Stony people and some of the Cree people to guide him through the backcountry who knew the, the areas very well. And that worked to, using the First Nations worked to the explorer's advantage because the First Nations people knew the topography of the, of the area very well. He camped along what is now called Maycroft, which is along the North Fork of the Old Man River. And one of his, Blakiston's contributions to uh, legacies around here was to name some of the place names around here. And if you go look northwest from the uh, Old Man River through the gap, he was the one that names, uh, gave the original name to Tornado Mountain, and he called it Gold's Dome. It was named after John Gold, who was a, a bird watcher from Britain. The British had a great habit of naming geographical features after some of their contemporaries or their early explorers elsewhere in the world. So Tornado Mountain was originally called Goldstone. He also named the Livingston Range after Mr. Livingston, who was the African explorer. And he also named Warrington Lakes after Charles Warrington, who never visited the lakes, but he was well known as a biologist in, in Great Britain. He also named some of the geographical features after their features themselves. So they all weren't named after people. So um, he was the one that named uh, Castle Mountain that we have southwest of Fincher Creek. He called it Castle Mountain. And there's to be more about that in a bit when we talk about Frederick uh, Godsell. But Castle Mountain was one of the landmarks that was quite distinctive. And years later, there was a big kerfuffle with the Dominion government as whether this should be Castle Mountain or the one up by, uh, um, by Banff should be Castle Mountain. This one's called Winter Peak right now, but originally it was called Castle Mountain. So Kootenai, or Kootenai Brown, um, 
Thomas Blakeson came down to the North Kootenai Pass that fall and decided he needed to explore the North Kootenai Pass. And the North Kootenai Pass is immediately south of the Crow's Nest Pass. And he decided to explore that pass because he wanted to determine if it was in British territory or possibly to be part of Canada. And he also wanted to see if it was a suitable route for a railway. Well, the pass is 6,900 feet and is known for its steep inclines on both the Alberta and the British Columbia sides of the, of the uh, divide. And he came up with a system with his mapping that there could be a mechanical way to pull the railway engines up there. And he actually named one pass up there, Railway Pass. It proved to not be practical from an engineering standpoint, but that was uh, Thomas Blakenson's enthusiasm for, for, for uh, promoting that, that route. So he went over the pass, made note of the topography and the landscapes, the wildlife in the area, and uh, so forth. And then went down into the British Columbia side to the Flathead River, and then decided to come up the South Kootenai Pass on his way back. So the South Kootenai Pass is the pass that's in modern lakes and it's above Red Rock Canyon and uh, so forth. And he came over that one and he had to con con contend with the ever-changing weather in southwestern Alberta. And he was coming up there in early September, just a week or two after what it is now, and they are dumped uh, on by over two feet of snow as they made their way up up the pass, so they had to contend with that. Fortunately, the horses were sturdy and the guides got them through there, and he came up over to the pass and uh, made notes of the scenery of the area and uh, uh, of the value of the, of the countryside and so forth. So he did make his observations and uh, wrote them down. The interesting thing about Thomas Blakeson's use of those two passes is he is the first recorded non-native or European person to come over to the passes. Now there's been some debate whether Sinclair, who was connected to the Hudson Bay Company and a few others actually went over these passes and so forth, but he's the first recorded one to go over it. And with the South Kootenai Pass, um, some of the other non-native explorers that came over were uh, Kootenay Brown, who came over in 1865, which was just seven years after Blakeson was there. And then the Shooning family, who were early settlers came here, came over the uh, pass in 1883 on their way to their homesteads uh, in the Crook District. So they came through, but they were, came over on their own. And it was the native peoples, the Kootenay people, who used the passes most extensively. So that's how they got the name. The Kootenai people lived in on the Flatheads, were originally at one point strongly connected to the Canadian prairies, hunted the buffalo and so forth, but uh, uh, they, they were outpowered by the Blackfoot Confederacy and eventually settled on the, uh, in the Flathead area. So that was his contribution to this area, was scientifically exploring the parts of the West and with some of the place names and so forth. So. Thank you for listening to Tales of Kootenay Brown Pioneer Village. This episode was researched and written by historians Farley Wood and Gord Tolton. This podcast is recorded and engineered by Gord Tolton. Episodes can be found at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or any other podcatcher. 
visit our website at www.kootenaybrown.ca. Kootenay is spelled K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I. Also, visit and join our pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for more information on our museum, or even better, visit us at 1037 Beverly McLaughlin Drive in beautiful Pincher Creek, Alberta.